just through the various speakers. We just pray that you will be with Raina as she's prepared for this uh, message this morning and that uh, you will encourage her and support her. We also pray, Lord, for us as listeners that you would open our ears that we may be able to hear what she's saying and a heart to understand what she's saying so that we will be able to apply it to our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Len. Okay, thank you. Before we start, I just want to firstly affirm what Steve said about us being a royal priesthood. Uh, And I need to do that because I want you to understand that in what I'm going to present to you today, that I'm speaking to all of you. The research that I'm going to quote very often uses the word pastor or minister or clergy. Uh, But the truth of the matter is that we are all a royal priesthood, that we are all full-time workers for the Lord. So please understand that even though I will say the word pastor about 467 times, that I'm talking to all of you. If what I say uh, resonates with you, take it on board. Even if you think what you do is minimal, please take it on board, okay? We live in an absolutely extraordinary age. The technological advancements that we've witnessed over the last decade are nothing less than astounding. We can now communicate with literally anyone, anywhere, at any time. I have uh, clients who are pastors in Dallas and in LA who run mega churches of two and a half thousand who I do counseling with every Tuesday morning at the click of a button and they're there in real time sometimes there's an echo but they're there in real time they're they're sitting in my room with me we um, there are virtually no restrictions on our engaging with anyone at any point in any given day Engaging is literally at our fingertips. And this was, this was sort of uh, alluded to last night. I could completely prove the point by getting you all to turn your phone on for the course of my lecture. Don't. <laughs> at our fingertips. In addition, we are now privy to a vast array of media coverage. Oops, sorry. Media coverage, personal video footage, uh, everything that unfolds across the world is there for us to look at. I remember uh, being in Perth uh, when there was the last bombing in the airport. And it was only a matter of minutes before that video footage was right there on our screens. Um, We no longer wait, in the old days, guys, we used to wait for the hourly news on the radio. And apart from that, you had no idea what was going on. And then you'd watch the news at 9 o'clock every night to know what had happened during the course of the day. We don't do this. We can check on the news in the morning, we can check on the news at midday, We can know everything that is unfolding. And that can be difficult for us because we're actually taking on a lot of visual and uh, visual information and there's um, content that can be very disturbing. Um, Again, this information is at our fingertips. Ten years ago, none of this was possible. Does anybody remember what that was like? (laughs) It's a wonderful day in which to live. And yet, this level of extended engagement actually has 
an unforeseen cost for those of us who work in the ministry or in the helping professions. Although we might delight in all these opportunities for engagement that are at our fingertips, we, conversely, this means that our church members think that we're available 24-7. That we can be sought out, that we can be found, that we can be contacted day and night, um, on cue, on demand. And the cost of this is enormous for people in ministry and the change over the last 10 years with regard to the amount of engagement that is expected of people in ministry uh, has rocked my world. It's evident that as people who want to be conduits of the gospel message, that we want to engage. That's what this conference is all about. We want to engage. However, what we've ended up with is an engagement overload. This engagement overload creates a really unique working environment for today's 21st century pastor. I've been in ministry for 35 years and the changes and how those changes have impacted pastors is astonishing. What 21st century people in ministry are up against is very different to what we were doing in the late 70s. As we seek to meet the needs of the people uh, who we're caring for and ministering to or evangelizing, uh, we inadvertently end up striving. We want to answer every call, every message. Uh, we want to um, ensure that we do that promptly and that we do a good job of that. But that can add a huge amount of hours to an already full and eventful day. Instead of walking away from an eight-hour day and, uh, you know, putting our tools down like electricians do and plumbers do, God love them, they've got it sorted, um, we remain on call well into the night. Anybody do this? Well into the night. Um, even after the phone is put to bed, if you do that, because I know a lot of us don't even turn off the phone when we go to bed, but even if you do that and you put the phone to bed, we still think about the last call or the last interaction and whether or not we said the right thing or did the right thing, particularly if you're attempting to engage with the unsaved because we, are, we definitely do double-check our interactions. And this pushes the boundaries uh, and it pushes our capabilities and more often than not what we find is that it leads to burnout. The research on burnout in ministry clearly indicates that pastors are expected to be far more than just liturgists and preachers. Pastoring is more than preparing a couple of sermons during the course of the week. They are concurrently recognised worldwide as human service providers. They are among the primary professionals that individuals call upon for assistance when wanting to try to cope with life's difficulties and misfortunes. Pastors are viewed as frontline responders. And I don't know if you realise, but there's an a, a, a incredible amount of work that is done in this country and worldwide by pastors when there is a catastrophe. When we have bushfires in Queensland, the first people in the helicopters are the chaplains. And we ship them up there quick smart and they're on the ground with people before anybody. Um, pastors have been referred to as therapists on call. And even though most pastors fully understand that they are not professional counsellors, they nonetheless uh, spend a very large proportion of their time engaging in pastoral counselling. Uh, a significant amount of this role also involves not just uh, rudimentary pastoral counselling, but dealing with people who've suffered some sort of psychological trauma. Um, for many um, 
for many people who face emotional upheaval or are faced with a death or anguish regarding job loss or uh, financial concerns, the pastor is considered the appropriate first responder. Now, I don't know if you know what a first responder is. First responder is somebody who is trained uh, to be a paramedic, to be the first person on the ground in a remote area to keep that person alive until the ambulance gets there. So in saying that pastors are first responders, it's a high calling because your job is to keep that person in one piece until you can get them to professional help if that's what's needed. Uh, in addition, lots of people turn to a pastor because they're trying to make meaning in what happened to them. Uh, I find this particularly pertinent uh, when people uh, lose a baby. Um, attempting as a Christian to put some sort of concrete meaning around that is very, very complex. Um, when people lose... Uh, their spouse at an early age, trying to work out how God fits in that. When people in their 20s get cancer and die, people want to be able to sit with you and get you to help them to try and work out how that fits in their worldview and how that fits with their model of God. So uh, make no mistake, even though we live in a very secularised environment, which is what Steve has been talking about and... Uh, I'm very grateful for that. Um, the pastor is still very much needed. Although traditional um, ideas around uh, religious explanation of life have been eroded by secularisation, pastors are still being utilised and you are therefore needed. People will want to engage with you. They'll want your assistance. They will want your guidance. They will want your support. If you are a nice person, also good point by Steve, <laughs> if you're a nice person and you're approachable and you know how to listen and you know how to be empathic, people are coming to your door. Um, they want to not only get you face-to-face, -face, but they'll want to get you on Facebook and they'll want to Skype you, and they'll want to message you, uh, they'll want to text you, and it goes on and on and on. On the one hand, this is a really great springboard for engaging. It's a really good way for you to engage with your community. Uh, again, Steve was talking about going and knocking door to door. If you were to do that in your community, you would find the most incredible amount uh, of, of uh, human suffering that requires attention and care. And you could give attention and care and therefore engage with that person. And that person, if you help them in their journey, will come and be part of what your community is doing. So on the one hand, this level of engagement is terrific and I want you to take that away. But on the other hand, it should cause you con some, some concern. Um, and I don't want to deter you from engaging, but I want to warn you because I'm not only concerned about the people that you're going to go out and engage with, I'm concerned about you. Prolonged exposure to the traumatic stories and the anguish of others can act actually result in pastors feeling very similar fear and pain and suffering. suffering. Although uh, empathic engagement is really therapeutic for the person that you're talking to, uh, the research clearly shows us that pastors absorb this material. Part of uh, the training in psychology is to learn how to not absorb everything that you hear. Uh, and pastors, unfortunately, tend to absorb this material. Have you ever spent uh, a, a large amount of time with a family who are grieving and come away from, you know, a week of dealing with one particular family only to feel that it is as if you are grieving 
the same sort of loss. Consistently responding to the demands that are put on you uh, can be really detrimental for your well-being and for the well-being of your family. So what does burnout look like? I just want to give you the list <laughs> because I want you to tag it for yourself. I want you to have an, 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 an understanding, a grasp, so that you can double-check for yourself. It's a bit like flu symptoms. Um, burnout is a psychological syndrome that is characterised by emotional exhaustion, depersonalisation. It actually impacts your uh, professional identity. Um, reduced feelings of personal accomplishment, and that can be very difficult when we're attempting to build, grow churches. If your church stays at a set number for a number of years, that can really impact your um, sense of personal accomplishment. Burnout impairs both your personal and your social functioning. So you end up being the least favourite person at the barbecue, the person who doesn't look at anybody, the person who disengages. It is evidenced by a gradual onset of disillusionment, hopelessness and job satisfaction, and it leaves people who were previously enthusiastic feeling exhausted and feeling ineffectual. The consequences include a decline in professional commitment and engagement, uh, organic complaints, somatic complaints, so you can feel sick within your body, um, and just overall poorer life satisfaction. Compassion fatigue is a little different. Uh, it's gradual. Uh, it, it, it's not gradual like burnout. It can come on you really quickly, and the symptoms are very different. Um, and if these symptoms, if you find yourself suffering from these symptoms, please uh, turn on the, the, you know, the red warning light on the top of the car. Anxiety, intrusive thoughts, uh, intrusive thoughts that invade your dreams. Loss of hope, sleep disturbance, and a reduced capacity to be empathic. And this is the key thing with compassion fatigue. If you get compassion fatigue, you're not going to be able to listen anymore. You're not going to be able to care, you're not going to be able to engage, and you're not going to be able to evangelise because you will have lost interest in engaging with the person who's telling you about their mother dying. Uh, Figley gives us, uh, Figley is the researcher who came up with the idea of compassion fatigue, gives us a really good um, simplistic um, idea of what it looks like. In our effort to view the world from the perspective of the suffering, we suffer. The meaning of compassion is to bear suffering. Compassion fatigue, like any other kind of fatigue, so if you think muscle fatigue, yeah, reduces our capacity or our interest in bearing the suffering of others. Okay, the story of Moses shows us really clearly the impact that burnout and compassion fatigue can have on the individual. Uh, although Moses begins with great fervour and commitment and he strives wholeheartedly to serve the people in his care, the cost to him was devastating. He begins his ministry as the spokesman of God, allowing himself to be used by God to bring the ten plagues against Egypt. He leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. In addition, the narrative tells us that he performed a miracle to ensure that the people didn't die of thirst. And then, to top it all off, he serves as the head of the Israelite army when they fight and defeat the Amalekites. And although none of you will ever have to embark on ministerial feats of this nature, take note of what happens in the ensuing pages. Moses ends up in engagement overload. In Exodus 18, verses 13 to 16, uh, Moses' father-in-law has arrived to see him and uh, 
he sees what Moses is doing and he notes his concerns. The next day, Moses sat, as usual, to hear the people's complaints against each other from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw how much time this was taking, he said, why are you trying to do all this alone with people standing here all day long to get your help? Well, because the people come to me with their disputes to ask for God's decisions, Moses told him. I am their judge deciding who is right and who is wrong and instructing them in God's ways. I apply the laws of God to their particular disputes. In verses 17 to 20, uh, we clearly hear the concerns of Jethro. He says, it's not right. You're going to wear yourself out. And if you do, what will happen to the people? Moses, this job is too heavy a burden for you to try to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and God will bless you. What transpires is that Jethro gives him some advice to get other elders to come alongside and to assist him with this judging of the different cases. And uh, Moses is good, he listens to his father-in-law and he takes on what his father-in-law is saying. Um, but somehow, even though he's taken it on, Moses still continues to strive. We're told very clearly that he still heard all the difficult cases, all the hard cases, all the ones that were a bit close to the edge. And... Um, what we see is that even though Moses should have, in a more global sense, have heeded Jethro's warning, he doesn't. And he continues to push and to strive and to go forward and to do all that he possibly can. And what we see here is a picture of someone who's really highly motivated and he's really diligent in everything that he does for God. And he is essentially everything that we like in a pastor. We um, applaud people for being so diligent. We applaud people for trying so hard. We applaud people for doing the extra 20 hours a week. We want people to have these same um, personality characteristics as Moses. Um, and yet, this level of engagement, this level of striving is very problematic. Um, Moses accomplishes a lot and we're in awe of him. That's a given. But as the narrative surrounding Moses unfolds, we can see that things change and Moses actually runs out of energy and he loses his capacity to be compassionate. In fact, he actually loses his capacity to engage with the people at all and he loses the will to live. In Numbers chapter 11 verses 11 to 15, Moses snaps. Moses said to the Lord, why pick on me to give me the burden of a people like this? Are they my children? Am I their father? Is that why you've given me the job of nursing them along like babies until they get to the land that you promised them? Why am I supposed to get meat for all these people? I can't carry this nation by myself. The load is far too heavy and if you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now. It would be a kindness. Let me out. Of this impossible situation. Moses has burnout 
Moses has compassion fatigue. Where is the fervent, diligent, high-achieving leader who would have done anything for these people, who sat with them from morning until night? It's like we have a different character on the pages, isn't it? If you please, if nothing else, come away from this conference and read the story of Moses, it's like he becomes someone else. It really is. Um, all his striving and the tremendous engagement overload have led him to this point. And he would rather be dead than spend another day listening to the demands of these people. In Numbers 20, verses 10 to 12, we're again witness to the exhaustion and the anger that are impacting Moses. And this is the incident where he's told to speak to the rock, and he doesn't. He hits the rock. And that incident has consequences. Because of that incident, because Moses is so tired and so fed up and he's had enough, and he overreacts out of this exhaustion, the consequences for Moses are that he never gets to go into the promised land. Unfortunately, Moses is not the only man of God who ended up in this type of scenario. He's not the only man to end a glorious career in this manner. The findings reported in the National Church Life Survey indicated that 50%, 50% of the ministers, pastors who were surveyed were at risk, significant risk for burnout. And another 25% of the people surveyed were experiencing burnout as a, a significant or extreme issue. I conducted the same sort of research with Pentecostal pastors, chaplains, and lay clergy, because for me, they're all the same. Uh, in my research in 2014, 50% of the people that I surveyed were at significant risk for burnout and compassion fatigue, and 22% were experiencing burnout as a significant issue. Now, these statistics, whether they're nationally or my, my statistics, they're important because they show us that we have a real problem that we're not addressing and we're not talking about, and we're not really doing anything about it. Um, and although you're not, your, your movement is not part of the uh, 2001 National Church Life Survey, where they looked at burnout. You were part of the 2011 survey. It's just that they didn't look at burnout there. Um, but even though your movement is not included in the statistics that I've shown you, what these statistics show us and the fact that my statistics mirror the other figures so closely, it shows us that there's a distinct possibility that across other movements, including your own, the, st the statistics could be this high. Um, and in addition, I want to highlight for you that this is difficult because if we want to be engaging well, one of the things that comes out very clearly from the burnout research is that people who are in burnout or who have compassion fatigue are actually probably doing more damage than good. Uh, it's a bit like what Steve was saying about his friend who was not a very, he, the, the minister who was not a very nice person. How we interact with people, how we engage with people is so pertinent. Um, the reason that we're not good if we're burnt out or if we have compassion fatigue, is that because we're actually incapable of caring for people at that juncture. We haven't cared for ourselves. And we're incapable of caring for these people who are relying upon us. 
Uh, we're disabled because we're emotionally exhausted and we're disillusioned and we're dissatisfied. Um, and our capacity to engage with our families or to engage socially is um, so low that it's palpable. And, and sometimes that's the first time anyone will catch that something's wrong with you, the fact that you're not engaging when you should be in a recreational event. If we listen to, if you listen to the voice of Moses as he um, argues with God, and he's quite stern with God in, his, in the scripture that I quoted for you. If we listen to Moses, it's, I wouldn't want Moses to be my pastor at that point. I wouldn't. I um, remember distinctly back in about 1982, we had a pastor who was not doing so well. And he came to church one Sunday morning with a rock, nice big rock, about this big. We thought, oh, he's going to do his sermon on the cornerstone. This will be lovely, terrific. And he sat the rock up on the pulpit and proceeded to tell us that he couldn't stand us anymore. Couldn't bear us that we were just impossible. And that he'd brought the rock because he wanted us to know that he wanted to throw the rock at us. <laughs> it was just a great Sunday morning. <laughs> Terrific. In the end, he was removed from the movement that I was part of. Uh, but he was just completely burnt out, completely burnt out. And he hadn't sought any help and he kept trying. And in the end, didn't care a hoot about any of us. We were all just an annoyance. Um, in the two surveys that I just mentioned to you, please note that many of the people who were surveyed in 2001 will have already exited the ministry. Many of those people in that 25% will have already gone. Many people who suffer from burnout or compassion fatigue end up in exactly the same place as Moses. And although the consequences may not be the same, I think the consequences for Moses are devastating. I'm sad for him every time I read it. The consequences for us can be devastating. Okay, there's a whole bunch of factors at play and I'm going to try and over the course of to this morning and this afternoon uh, take a couple of different angles but one of the key things that comes out in the research is that the amount of hours that pastors spend doing one-on-one -on -one with people, counselling people, listening to people, doing funeral-type work with people, that has a huge impact on whether or not you develop burnout. Um, there's research... Uh, that they did following 9-11 with uh, clergy and chaplains who attended Ground Zero. And they were well aware that people were, that were working on the ground there, that there were, there were going to be big people who came out with um, burnout and compassion fatigue. And so they, they rallied them as they went to do the work, got their details and surveyed them. And what came out of that was not that the key thing was how gory the stories were and there were some stories that were far more difficult than others. What, uh, what was evident is it came down to how many hours they spent listening. Similar research done with uh, military chaplains and rabbis again indicated that uh, the amount of hours spent in pastoral care is positively associated with burnout. The number of hours that Moses spent in counselling, in hearing these cases, had a negative impact on him. So Jethro's concerns were valid, and just like Moses, so many of today's 21st century pastors find themselves engaging in a similar refrain. 
And I don't know if you've ever been this fed up, but I uh, work in counselling with pastors all the time, and I hear similar things to this. I really do. Pastors don't necessarily get to share what they're actually thinking uh, in, you know, uh, a safe forum on a regular basis. So when they come to see me and it's not going anywhere, I really hear what's really going on. King David has a similar refrain. King David says, oh, sorry. Hold on. King David says, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee away and I would stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. And although David's entreaty is far more lyrical than that of Moses, it's a similar refrain. His burdens are no less palpable. Elisha, one of the great prophets of God, chimes in with a similar refrain and he says, I've had enough. So these are three great men who lived and worked in different eras, had different um, portfolios, different assignments, and yet they all end up with the same malaise. For many people who serve the Lord, these entreaties actually mark the end of the road. Maybe Moses and King David and Elijah needed to realise that they were just men. Perhaps they needed to remind themselves about the limitations of the human form and to take into account the physical and the spiritual and the emotional limitations. Just as gravity constrains us all, so the limitations of our humanness impinge on us. One of the clear things to me with regard to discussing youth and their boundless energy is that they have that because they're young. As we age, as we move on, we wear out. We have limitations. If we ask 10 of these people to get up and do 50 laps of this building and told them at the close of that 50 laps there was a $100 prize, trust me, oh, look, they're all looking at each other. <laughs> they're like, yeah, it's on. They do it. How many of the over 65s are going to engage in the same exercise? Why? Because they don't want $100? No, maybe they do. Because we have limitations. And we need to be aware of those limitations. We, we need to be real about those limitations. And we need to take our fingers out of our ears and stop pretending that we do not have limitations. Uh, Jesus is this really beautiful example of how to not continue striving. Jesus does self-care. I'm going to have T-shirts made for you. <laughs> Jesus does self-care. He listens to his body, his mind and his spirit. And when he needs to, he simply steps away into the boat and pushes out into the water. He purposefully disengages from the engagement overload that was brought about by his sheer popularity. Are the people in need? Yes, it's completely endless. Does he have the answers that will aid and will soothe? Jesus has all the answers and he's the Prince of Peace. But does he need to rest to take a break? He does, doesn't he? And he does that and it's on the pages for us to see so that we can know that it's okay for us to rest and to take a break. Jesus is constrained by gravity because he's in human form. That's us. If Jesus needed to step into the boat and push away sometimes, then why can't we? I therefore 
want to implore you. I want you to take stock of how you are feeling on a daily basis. I want you to make a note of what you're thinking as you walk out the calling on your life. Don't let Moses' fate be yours. I see it far too often. If you want to stay on the field for the whole game, I love the fact that everybody keeps mentioning the football, but apparently the South Sydney Rabbitohs lost last night, so we'll try to keep it on the down like... Okay. Who not to sit with at lunch? Whew. With elite athletes, you know, they're, they're monitoring their well-being all the time, all the time. And if we want to stay on the field, if, if we want these young people on the field for the whole game, then we have to make sure that they're okay. We have to monitor them like they're elite athletes. If you want to continue in ministry until you're 90, at which point I think a boat ride might be more enjoyable. If you want to do that, you have to double check how you're doing. As you engage with people, whether it be lots of engagement or a lesser degree, check that you're not striving with them. We don't have all the answers. We're not Jesus. We need to listen well and care well, but sometimes we don't have the answers. Sometimes the people that you're attempting to help, you need to refer them on to somebody who is more expert in a particular field. But check whether you're striving. Check whether you're pushing yourself too hard to do too much. If Moses cannot do it all, then obviously nor can we. And I'm, I'm not just concerned for those of you who work in ministry. I'm concerned for the people out there that you're going to work with. Because if you get worn out, if you get tired, if you get burnout, if you get compassion fatigue, your response to people is going to be like what we hear from Moses. People will annoy you instead of endearing you. Instead of wanting them to come with you to church, you're going to want them to go away and leave you alone. And we don't help individuals to find their way to the kingdom of heaven if that's what's coming out of our pores. And we don't help our movement. We don't aid the reputation of our movement if that's what happens. So Jethro voices his concerns. Um, And I'm simply doing the same with you today. I'm voicing my concerns. My work clearly shows me that across denominations, we have a problem. And I don't think that we should ignore it. I don't think that we should be ignoring ourselves for a minute longer. We... On top of everything else, let's say, let's say we, we're not concerned about engaging or evangelising. At the very grassroots, if you end up burnt out, you're probably going to hurt your immediate family. And we do, we do God no favours if we go here. We do him no favours if we are so worn out that we're angry and bitter and disillusioned. And it's not what he requires of us. It really isn't. He wants us to engage wholeheartedly, but does he want to wear us out? No. It strikes me as extraordinary that none of the disciples end up with burnout, and they changed the world. They really did. And not one of them ends up with burnout. They all end up dead, <laughs> but <laughs> not from burnout. 
in uh, 1987, which <laughs> I had to say to my husband, was 1987 30 years ago? Was it almost 30 years ago? That's, whoa. Almost 30 years ago, Myron Rush wrote a, a wonderful book on burnout from a Christian perspective because the original research was not done from a Christian perspective. Um, in 1987, there were no mobile phones. There was no Skype. There was no Facebook. I could go on ad infinitum. I don't know what we were doing, guys. I really don't know what we were doing with our time. None of these things were in play. And yet, Myron Rush makes this note about how the technological advancements are problematic and could prove to be more problematic for people in ministry. He says, Most of us would agree that modern technology has allowed us a more enjoyable lifestyle, but it has also created additional problems. Our modern doesn't sound funny for 1987. Our modern, fast-paced, rapidly changing society has become a breeding ground for the stresses that help produce burnout. I think he was onto something. I think all these gadgets are terrific, but not if you can't get in the boat and push out into the water. You know, not if you can't take some time off. These things are meant to serve us. You are not meant to engage 24-7. You are better off engaging in a smaller time frame and engaging well. I believe that it's time for us to heed the warnings of Jethro and to uh, follow the example set by Jesus, which I often think is a good idea to follow the example set by Jesus because at the close of the day the narrative around Jesus is so clear and it's lovely. We want to engage and to serve our church family well but our efforts must, absolutely must include a sincere and realistic concern for ourselves. We must engage in sound self-care practices we need to be aware of how many hours we're working in a given week. If you're not aware of that, please count your hours and be aware of how many of those hours you spend doing counselling type activities, particularly if you have a number of deaths within your church over a period of time. Be very careful if that plays out. Um, we need to take time to rest and recoup both physically, mentally and spiritually. Just like Jesus, there are times when we have to step into the boat and it's our responsibility. Uh, don't Make sure that you utilise, I know that I do this, I utilise the narrative of Moses to make sure that I, I do not let his narrative be mine. I do not want his demise to be mine. I don't want to get to the close of my work in ministry and do something absurd because I'm completely worn out and... And, and then find that somehow that discredits all else that I've done. I don't want to be the minister with the big rock who looks at the congregation and says, I want to throw this at you because I can't stand the lot of you. Okay, the accent was different because he was Brazilian. So, <laughs> Understand that we do live in an extraordinary age, but that our opportunities for uh, engagement, as much as they're vast, how much we engage can be problematic. So, just like Jesus, uh, know your limitations and pace yourself accordingly. On a practical note, um, ensure that you create a strong team of people around you. If you're a one-man band, uh-uh, no. Use the people around you. You're obviously surrounded by capable people who want to engage and who want to build the church community. Be mindful, ever mindful of the need for self-care. Be mindful of the possibility of engagement overload. If you find yourself picking up the phone to answer yet another message or hearing the phone ringing and thinking, oh, no, please don't ring, be mindful of that. Learn to turn off your phone. There's a button on your phone that turns it off. Anybody know that? 
Yeah? Give that a practice at lunch. <laughs> talk to your family and your friends about how you feel. We talked about the, the fact that Steve used the word bloke. The other blokey thing that happens in Australian culture is that we don't talk about how we feel man to man. Ooh, do we? Because we're muchers. Yeah? No. Talk to people. You know, you have family and friends who want to hear how you're going. Unburden yourself. Um, if you believe that you're suffering from burnout or compassion fatigue, if any of the uh, criteria that I threw up on the screen rings a bell for you, find a counsellor, find a psychologist, go and see someone, go and have a talk. It won't go away. You need to do something to get well. Ensure you get enough sleep. It astounds me this is the one thing that we're not doing well. If you can get eight hours sleep, it might change your life. You can track your sleep on your devices. If you leave them on. Do you have to leave it on? No, you don't. If you have a Fitbit, it tracks it regardless. Yeah. Take time for regular holidays. Take time to exercise. Take a day off, a whole day off, to read a novel. Is that the most ungodly thing you've heard all weekend? Go to the movies, go to the theatre, go to dinner, go fishing, go sailing, go swimming. Whatever it is that does it for you, go and do it. Where I live on an island in the Hawkesbury River, so we travel to and from the island every day by boat, everything for us is water-oriented. We are avid sailors and we utilise all of those water sports and kayaking, whatever it is that we do. Water for us is a retreat and it works, it works, because if you leave that behind and get in the kayak and just row out onto the river, it's brilliant. But that may not be your thing. Whatever is your thing, if going for a run is your thing, if playing football is your thing, go and do it. Join a club that has nothing to do with the church. Join a book club. Join a lawn bowls club. Join a club that has nothing to do with the church. The other thing is, that's a great place to meet unchurched and you will find that just being engaging with people on something completely different is so uh, uh, it's so good for your well-being so good for, uh, book clubs are great don't ignore any physical warnings again to the men I have to highlight Australian men don't go to the doctor I don't know why I know I don't don't ignore the physical signs. We've had a number of pastors who have just dropped on the spot. We had one drop at the pulpit. Uh, heart attack, dead, on the spot. And they spent the whole church service trying to revive him. Um, remember that you are important. And remember that Jesus admonishes you to love yourself not just your neighbour, that Jesus is admonishing you to engage with yourself, not just your neighbour. When you look at the word engage, think about you as well. Okay, thank you.